It's the Adam Ragusea Podcast, episode 38. Hey, I've got a nice ripe orange here. Nothing dangerous or sinister about it. Catch! That's a Sicilian message. It means, well, we'll get to that. You know, I watch The Godfather all the way through several times a year. Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 masterpiece is arguably the best movie ever made. It is also arguably a food movie. Therefore, it is inarguably the best food movie ever. It tells the story of New York's Corleone crime family, literally a family at the top at least. Don Vito Corleone, the godfather himself, played by Marlon Brando, is at the very top. He immigrated from Sicily as an orphan boy with nothing, and finding no economic opportunities in the legitimate world for a penniless guinea like him, Vito became a neighborhood tough, but a benevolent neighborhood tough, a kind of Robin Hood for his fellow impoverished Southern Italian immigrants in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He stole from the wasps and he gave to the wops. Don Vito built an empire on illegal gambling, union corruption, and bootlegging during Prohibition, and he built a mansion for his family in the suburbs. And what about that family? Well, The Godfather is, to me, a tragedy very much in the mold of King Lear. It's about a succession crisis that brews as a great king nears the end of his life. It's a tragedy about a doomed inheritance. The great king, Don Vito, is unable to bequeath all of his talents to any one of his three sons, and thus none of them is worthy to inherit the throne. Don Vito's personality splits as if through a prism into the next generation, and his formidable personal gifts fragment into dangerous shards. His eldest son, Sonny, inherits the Don's charm and passion. The middle son, Fredo, inherits the Don's gentle kindness. And the third son, Michael, played by a very young Al Pacino, Michael inherits the Don's ruthless, calculating intelligence. And perhaps that's why Michael wants nothing to do with the family business. He's too smart for a life of crime. And he's the most American of the three boys. He goes to an Ivy League school, but... When the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor, he joins the Marines and becomes a war hero. The notion that you would fight for someone other than your family, someone other than your blood, this is anathema to Michael's father, Don Vito, who is firmly rooted in an ancient tribal worldview that will not survive the century. But the Don also has big hopes for Michael. The Don hopes that if he can keep Michael's hands clean of the family business, well, then Michael could grow to find a place in the quote-unquote legitimate world, the power structure that heretofore had rejected the Corleones and other immigrants like them. And that's where we are when the movie starts. Michael comes home from the war to attend his sister's big fat Sicilian wedding. Events unfold that destabilize the family and threaten the empire. A different kind of war breaks out, and in the end, it's Michael who inherits the throne. A throne he never wanted, a throne that his father never wanted for him, and it's a throne of which Michael is every bit as unworthy as his brothers, because Michael inherited the Don's head, not his heart. And as every step of the tragedy unfolds, we watch these lovable yet terrifying Italian-American men eat. All the time they are eating. They're doing murder and they're eating. Always eating. Food is their shibboleth. It's the secret handshake distinguishing the family from everyone else, from strangers. Coppola's film and Mario Puzo's novel, on which the film is based, these drew heavily and faithfully from the real lives of real, recent Southern Italian immigrants in New York. But when the movie hit, and hit very big, I think the tail started to wag the dog. I think that people like my father 
and his cousins. I think that they mirrored the Godfather more than the Godfather mirrored them. The movie provided a model for the way that Italian-Americans behave and talk and eat to this very day. So today on the pod, we're going to recap The Godfather, focusing specifically on the cooking and the eating. Less so the murder, but the eating and the murder really are inseparable. Leave the gun and take the cannoli. I will be joined, as I have been before, by my two dear friends, Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, both professional filmmakers who accidentally stumbled into internet micro-celebrity, much the way that I did. They made a podcast just for fun where they recapped every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. They called it The Greatest Generation, and to their surprise, their show hit really big. Adam and Ben are now full-time Star Trek episode recappers. Their flagship podcast, The Greatest Generation, is currently into a Star Trek Voyager. They did Generation, Next Generation, then DS9, now they're into Voyager. They have a second podcast called The Greatest Trek, and that's where they review all the new Trek shows that are being produced by Paramount's Star Trek Industrial Complex, a.k.a. Big Rod. I compose the music for both of these podcasts, and I listen to every single episode. If you like Star Trek, subscribe to The Greatest Generation and The Greatest Trek. Go back and listen from the beginning if you want. One thing about Ben and Adam is that they are both far more serious people than their shows would indicate. And one thing about me is that I am far less serious than my shows would indicate. So we kind of meet in the middle when all three of us recap a movie, which means that things are going to get a little extra silly and profane on this episode. There will be repeated references to horse members. That's in addition to the horse dismember that occurs in the movie. Adam and Adam and Ben recap The Godfather as a food movie coming up. This episode of the Adam Ragusea podcast, which is sponsored today by Masterworks. If all the stock market volatility of late has destabilized your empire and threatened your succession plans, well, consider investing in fine art with Masterworks. Your standard small investor like me, you know, a guy with some mutual funds and such for retirement, retail investors, they call us, we are down an average of 44% this year, according to J.P. Morgan Chase. So it's no wonder that big banks and firms are allocating 30 to 50% of their assets to alternatives, per a recent McKinsey study. Alternatives, the value of which is historically somewhat independent of the stock market, right? Diversification, you call this. Not just real estate state or precious metals, but art. Goldman Sachs names fine art right alongside precious metals as being a way to help protect your purchasing power. Citi reports that blue chip contemporary art has a near zero correlation to stocks. Masterworks lets you invest in this same art. Individual paintings worth millions of dollars that I could never afford to buy all by myself. Masterworks buys a painting that they think will accrue in value, and then they go to the Securities and Exchange Commission, they securitize this asset, and then people like you and me can buy shares at a more accessible price. And we're not talking about like meaningless NFTs. We're talking about Picassos, Monets, Banksy's. Masterworks has more than 590,000 users and more than $650 million worth of securitized art. And they're the first people to do this with art. When they sell a painting in which you own a share, you get your share of the payout. Since Masterworks last supported the podcast back in November, they have sold two paintings, one for a 17.8% net return and another in early December for a 13.9% net return. That brings Masterworks to seven exits this year, ranging from 9% to 36% net return and nine exits in total. Past performance is, of course, no guarantee of future results, but so far paintings have sold out in minutes and Masterworks usually has at least a few new offerings per week to try to keep up. Your account will come preloaded with special access when you use my link in the video description or in the podcast show notes. That is masterworks.art slash Check it out. Decide if investing in art is the right diversification option for you. Masterworks.art slash for special access to new investment opportunities. Thank you, Masterworks. And now, we recap The Godfather as part of a series on this podcast that I call 
Food on Film. And Food on Film has a theme song. It goes like this. There is no weather in California. This can't be a song about the rain. Try Hollywood, dear, but I warn ya. Uh, ben and Adam, welcome. Thank you for being here. Could I offer you something? Perhaps an orange? Uh, <laughs> yeah, just the peel is all I need, man. I, I'm here to do bits with orange peels. Those bits always scare me. They make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that That's nothing compared to what they do to me when I do them. <laughs> do you think Vito was claimed by the orange peel in the end? It's that simple that he just, he spit it out after scaring little Anthony and he slipped yeah. on it. He didn't have a heart yeah. attack. He oh, slipped and yeah. fell on an orange peel. <laughs> you know, New York back in the day, there was like litter everywhere. So, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a food podcast. And one of the things that uh, I always appreciate when you uh, bring up Goose is, is food safety issues. So, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't talk about the ways that orange peels can hurt old men enough. <laughs> But this awareness is so important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm wearing my orange ribbon to raise <laughs> orange peel safety awareness. <laughs> oh, shoot. I forgot to put it on. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get the corresponding scene where, uh, where Vito's being prepared, like his body is being prepared for the funeral and the mortician's mm-hmm. like... I can't do anything about the orange in his mouth. It, it's beyond my my. I used all talents. my skills and all of my talents. I could put Sonny's face back together after after being blown apart at a toll booth, but yeah. the orange is too far. At his wake, he's going to look like a kid after a soccer game, and there's nothing anybody can do about that. <laughs> So to rewind the tape a little bit, at the beginning of the film, it's a nice day for a white wedding. Uh, Don Vito, the most powerful mob boss in New York, uh, the year is 1945, and his uh, only daughter, Connie, is getting wed, wedded, married in a big, spectacular uh, wedding in the backyard, it looks like, of the, the palatial estate that Don has built for himself out in maybe supposed to be Long Island or something, some some suburb, yeah. right? I think they say yeah. Long Beach at some point, right? Is there a Long Beach in New York? There is a Long Beach in New York. Huh. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, okay. That's not the LBC <laughs> that Snoop Dogg is talking about. Gangster drama in both places, but different types of gangster very, drama. Very, very different. Know? Well, but it, I suppose it's all the same in the end. Yeah. And the first appearance of food that we see at this wedding is an orange being tossed to uh, Don Vito's, uh, one of his two capo regimes, one of his two underbosses, Salvatore Tessio, catches an orange, and there's nothing symbolic or pretentious about that. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't think think uh, it was symbolic or pretentious. I, I reject symbolism, though, you know, just as a matter of course. <laughs> you say that because you would have biffed the catch. <laughs> <laughs> George no. michael it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is another orange food safety issue that I want, I want to raise awareness around. What was the most delicious thing at this wedding to you? Because to me, that pile of cookies on all the oh, tables. The, the brightly colored they're so Italian beautiful. cookies look awesome. Yes. Yeah. I would have filled up, had I gone to this wedding, I would have filled up on that more than yeah. anything else, probably. A big white box of those. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine a, a stomach full of sangria and those cookies, <laughs> the hangover after that? <laughs> so you noticed the sangria. You noticed, you see Clemenza, um, who is Don Vito's other underboss, the big fat one, uh, asks his his henchman, Paulie, for some wine. Mm-hmm. And Paulie hands over this giant pitcher of yeah. what what looks like sangria but is actually, I, I finally, for the first time in my life, looked it up because I was like, they don't have sangria in Sicily where these people came from. <laughs> why would they want something so delicious? Well, why, why would they want something so Spanish? Why would they want something from a different culture ever? Ever, exactly. <laughs> Everybody knows that 
people, if they're in the old country, only have what's in the old country. Mm. And certainly Sicily is not proximate to any other major civilizations. No. Has not absorbed any of their influences, never been conquered by anyone. Yeah. No, I can't think of a single instance of that. Mm -mm, Never Uh. happened. So seriously, Sicilian sangria, say that 10 times fast, seriously, Uh, Sicilian sangria. It's a vocal warm-up before we do any podcasting. We do the red leather, yellow leather, we do Sicilian sangria. Me, 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 Sicilian sangria, yes. It's it's vino e percoque, which percoque is like a Sicilian peach. It's chunks of peaches that you cut up. And you steep Whoa. in the wine for a long time. Doesn't that sound awesome? You eat those peaches at the end? Yeah, I totally would. You yeah. gotta. Sounds like wine, red wine macerated peaches? Mm-hmm. Gimme. Mm-hmm. Happiness is when you're hungry and you find some peaches in the bottom of your wine. <laughs> well said. <laughs> um, so there's, there's another thing that happens in this wedding scene that has hounded my, my waking thoughts. For 30 some years, ever since I was way too young and my father showed me this movie because he thought that it was culturally important for us. Wow. Cool dad. Cool dad alert. I suppose the first thing that haunted my mind was the the, the Mo Green special. That was what made it real hard to get to sleep that night. Mm. Um, but this one, this one is, I have been thinking about this for decades and it's an unnamed henchman shouts out to Paulie, who's a barely named henchman in the film, and he throws Paulie some sandwiches. Do you remember that? And yeah. he says, hey, Paulie, I've got two gabagool, capacol, and prosciutto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gabagool is capacol. Gabagool yeah. is the, like, Amer- American-Italian famous weird pronunciation of capicola, which is the kind of you know, salumi, right? Right. So what, right. what, so he says two gabagool, one capicole and one prosciutto. What is the difference between the gabagool and the capicole? <laughs> uh, is it possible that gabagool is prepared slightly differently than capicole? Like, is it, wow. is it like capicole is like imported from Italy and gabagool oh, that's is the real shit. domestically yeah. produced? The gabagool is from New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> It's I like wasn't aware I was a guest on IMDb Goofs, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, the difference between Parmesan cheese and Parmigiano Reggiano. Right, 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 right. Yes, Parmesan, which we, we, we would come to call sprinkle cheese in the, in the, <laughs> in the green craft yeah. canister. Yeah, right. yeah. Do you feel like they were at this wedding, which was clearly catered, plenty to mm. eat all around, did they order sandwiches from outside the wedding that were then brought in? No, surely unnamed henchman just went over to like the table because he knew that Polly was like body, bodyguarding on the dance floor. The thing that, the reason I ask is because they were wrapped in that in that butcher paper, like that of a deli. Like, I, I, I wonder if someone made a run, you know? Wow, that would be... And how hot of a move is that if you're at a wedding and maybe it's just cookies and sangria and maybe you want a little bit of a right. of a, of a baseline there in the tum-tum? Like a, something savory, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You get <clears throat> two capicool and a baba, baba goosh, you know? <laughs> I, I really have to take the other side on the, on the cookie issue. Those, those came on screen and my wife and I were both like, ugh. Wow. Is that because there's whenever you get uh, cookies like that, there's always like one that's flavored like fennel and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, the, there is a certain like Russian roulette energy to that type of cookie, but they're also just always like way too sweet for my taste, you know? Like wow. no salt to bring out the sweet in those Italian cookies. I can't relate to you at all right now, Ben. <laughs> Who even are you? They must be very popular if they're if they're merched out by like the two hundred per table. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we need to get rid of these disgusting cookies. Oh, Let's right. pile them up on every table. Yeah, I'm sure it, for vendors in New York, if they have surplus substandard goods to get rid of. They would try to dump them on Don Vito. You know what? It's all becoming clear. I went to Ben's wedding and there was nothing sweet served the entire night. So Yeah. No. We didn't yeah. we didn't mess around with that kind of nonsense. Their wedding cake was just a big soft pretzel. It was uh it was, well, it was a soft pretzel with a pile of gabagool on top. Right. Yeah. Speaking of the cake, when the when the wedding cake comes out and it's 
like it's taller than a than a man, right? I I love and, Enzo the baker's uh, under promise on that too. He's like the cake I bake for you, big. <laughs> I know he's, it's so much bigger than what he says, and that's not Enzo. That's Enzo's soon to be father in law, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Does the baker also do kind of a like big boobs gesticulation? I feel like when he when he pantomimes the size yes, of the cake, there's that's, like a that's Italian for big, big yeah, anything. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's the, I mean, the scene when they're bringing in the cake is, if you just look at, I mean, it's, it's like many shots in this film that are like Renaissance paintings. There's so many people in the frame and they're all perfectly arranged and there's tons of depth to it. There's people in foreground and mid -ground, background and it's just like, it is so choreographed and the cake is totally blown out, right? Like yeah. it's, and I was just like, you can't, can't control everything. There's one thing. You can control a lot of things, but one is not the uh, the sun yeah. on a white cake. Almost no shot compositions in this movie that use the samurai cop shot composition uh, <laughs> framework. <laughs> nice callback. <laughs> nice callback. Uh, yeah. I mean, Kobo is just a, an absolute master of the like really big, complicated set piece. And yeah. it's it's so fun to like the, the wedding is just such a, a flawless execution of of like a tremendously complicated you know because you'll get like shots you know you'll get those wide shots where there are you know 450 people in the frame but then you get punch-ins too and that's another setup and they have to like match all of those things yeah. again with all of those extras because they're all in the background of the close-up you know yeah, does everybody have like a piece of tape on the ground of that field in Long yeah. Island that like that's your one? Everybody go back to one. Okay, you're very light blue and your tape is a slightly <laughs> darker shade of light blue. Keep them, you, keep, you know. <laughs> your tape is red, but it also has some hay on it. <laughs> hey, so... uh so at this wedding, uh, Johnny Fontaine comes to the wedding. Johnny Fontaine, character based on Frank Sinatra, who notoriously, as legend would have it, was also uh, sort of liberated from a bad contract early in his life by his mob boss, uh, uh, Godfather, right? Um, so Johnny Fontaine comes and he asks his Godfather for uh, a favor, getting a movie part. Uh, and uh, Tom... Uh, a uh, what is Tom's relationship to Don Vito? Uh, adopted son. Yeah. Right. So adopted son and consigli consigliere Tom flies out to uh, Los Angeles to have a meeting with this movie producer Jack Waltz to convince him to uh, give Johnny Fontaine this big part. And Jack Waltz blows up at him and says, "I have Johnny Fontaine came in with his olive oil voice and his guinea guinea olive. I, th I think about olive oil voice all the time because it just makes me think about drinking olive oil and then immediately trying to sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I always knock back a shot of olive oil before I get on mic, just to uh, loosen up the old vocal cords. <laughs> it helps with my motility. Personally. <laughs> what I love about, I think that there's a, I think it's a very conscious choice that in every scene where non-Italians are eating food that they have served or ordered or what have you, that like Coppola is trying to make that food look different. Yeah. So Tom and Waltz are like having this utterly depressing rich guy meal in Waltz's, you know, awful, oppressively huge mansion, right? With like, you know, ser serving people, servants standing at the ready in the back of the room to get something, which why has anyone in the history of eating ever wanted that? Like why? Yeah, but like, on the other hand, he does mm. have a yard bartender. Yeah. And how cool is oh, that? Oh man, a yard bar. <laughs> Not just a yard bar, a yard bartender, yep. which is my vocal warm up. Yard bartender. <laughs> yard bartender, yard bartender. That's a good one. He's just waiting around for people to walk around the, the lawn. Legit. I would take that. Ready to I, go. I take your point, Pranica. I wonder how many drinks that guy serves in an average day. Like, is it like, is it like dozens? Or like, are there enough people no, like, coming? He waits for days to serve one. Yeah, yeah. He, the average per day is 0. 0.2 drinks he, per day. He doesn't seem to have a wife or if, or if he no. does, she's like 
been traveling in Europe for the last six months. The bartender's job is to be there on the rare occasion that he's needed, like a security man. Right. Mm-hmm. Better to have mm-hmm. it and not need it than need it and not have it, which is why every time I look at my backyard, I rue the fact that I don't have a yard bartender. How many times have you walked around that backyard without a drink in your hand? I know. It's depressing. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, it makes me want to throw up. It makes me want to move. <laughs> Yeah, you should find a listing for a home that comes with a yard bartender. It'd be great. Yeah. Well, the interest rates being what they are yeah. these days, I don't think Not I in can. this market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this dinner that Waltz has served Tom Hagman just looks so sad. And it's pr- yeah. it's like very fancy. It's just it looks like it's some kind of little like tenderloin roast or something. It's just the opposite of everything that we see in all the Italian food. It's the opposite of convivial. It's the opposite of friendly. It just looks sad. And then, but I love the power move where like Waltz comes over and starts screaming in Tom's face and Tom just keeps eating. Like, I love that power move. He also like, like is not, worried about walking away from that plate of food though like <laughs> you know? and directly onto an airplane yeah he'll, yeah he'll hit the sparrow at the airport i had a question though like did tom do the horse thing or somebody is, no is they sent like a, luca brazzi to do that yeah. luca brazzi did that he was also on the plane no no no. i i think that's a i think that's a later trip okay yeah yeah that's why. Yeah. That's why Don Vito says uh, to to um, to Johnny Fontaine that within a month he's uh, this this movie producer is going to give you what you want. A month. That's a lot of lead time to get yeah, Luca right. Brazzi on a plane out to Los Angeles to murder a horse and leave the <laughs> horse's head in bed with uh, Jack Waltz. Has Has anybody ever asked you to to prepare horse on your channel, Adam? I I would do it, but I <laughs> I fear certain reactions but there's yeah. many cultures where this is what they do yeah have uh, have you ever eaten horse have either of you ever eaten horse i mean i've gone to arby's well that's what you got to do to make horse tender is you gotta you gotta run it through the arby's roast beef machine where you get the, right. the meat emulsion that comes out the other end we have the horse meat <laughs> oh. <laughs> i'm just uh, i'm just picturing the comment section for this one Getting extremely toxic extremely quickly. I'm sorry I brought it up. I love Arby's. I want that stated for the record. Arby's, I don't know why. All this while that people have been making fun of Arby's, they were slowly becoming the best fast food restaurant in America. That is my, that's my take. I have, uh, I have tried horse. I have never tried Arby's. (laughs) Nothing is less surprising to me than that statement. I would have, I would have bet everything I have on (laughs) On those two facts being true. <laughs> so Tom comes back to uh, to have a meeting with uh, the Don and the Don's son, uh, Sonny Corleone, played by noted Italian-American James Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, I don't know, so I, 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 there's some time, there was some time, like I was listening to a podcast sometime and some... Um, movie writer that I know and I would love to give credit for this said, describe James Caan's Sonny Corleone as having like a swinging horse dick. <laughs> and I just always thought that was so, so right. And like one Man. of the, what, one of the ways in which that horse dick swings is that like Sonny and every time that he's like in a meeting, as in this meeting, he's like hunched over and he reaches for like some, you know, elegant glass bowl containing usually like nuts, it looks like. Yeah, and he's hunched yeah. over, just eating nuts throughout the whole meeting. And that's like how he, that's how he concentrates, I guess. I don't know. I just love that. Can we get a ruling on whether or not his posture is good or bad? Because <laughs> it looks sometimes like it's very healthy and very good posture. And sometimes you see him walk across the room just wearing nothing but suspenders Thinking like, God, he looks like he's in pain. Well, he has non-standard like morphology, right? He's got these yeah. really pointy shoulders. He he's looks kind of like, like a praying mantis, like an yeah. old praying mantis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife said that he looked up, like Steve McQueen crossed with Warren Beatty in this movie. And, well, uh, that's that's a well. 
I, I felt like that was kind of on point. Like, yeah, the, I'll take the, that. The piercingness of a Steve McQueen and the swinging horse cock in the <laughs> <laughs> So this meeting leads to another meeting where they have to talk to a, a fella named uh, Virgil Salazzo, uh, a.k.a. the Turk, who has come to New York to try to set up a heroin business. Uh, and he needs Don Vito's uh, blessing and and cooperation on this. Otherwise, he won't be able to operate because Don Vito has all of the po- politicians in New York in his pocket. And uh, and uh, Virgil Salazzo needs political protection in order to start up his heroin business. And this begins another pattern in the film where like every time there's something remotely close to a business meeting, there's like a table off to the side that has a clear bottle of some kind of liquor and then a bunch of teeny tiny little glass cups from which yeah. to drink. Do we think this is grappa? I thought grappa, yes. It uh, is there like, are there like clear brandies in, in Sicily? Is that not what grappa is? I guess grappa is grape brandy, but there's like, I mean, like if they're making peaches, maybe it's... Whatever the peach equivalent. You ever had grappa pranica? Of course. That shit burns. Yeah. I one time went over to uh, my best friend's house when we were in high school, and his dad put a huge pile of tangerines in front of us, and we sat there and peeled and wedged, like, I don't know, like four dozen tangerines and and put them in a bowl, just the, the tangerine wedges. And then he came... Uh, and sprinkled a bunch of sugar and grappa on it and tossed it and th- just served it as like a lightly boozed tangerine sweet salad. Yeah. What'd you make of that? Amazing dish. A like, delicious food memory. Wow. Did you say you were a kid? I was a kid. This was uh, this was like a probably the first time I like had alcohol. Like not my uncle giving me a sip of beer at the Thanksgiving wow. table or whatever. Ben, I've got news for you. You weren't that kid's friend. You were an unpaid intern. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned so much, and and look at where my career is now. Yeah, you're on the Adam Ragusea <laughs> pod. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so make that dish on your next video. That's easy. Yeah. That's a heck of a way to pop your alcohol cherry. My God. This one boozy trick makes kids happy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, the Don, of course, says no to Salazzo because he's concerned that uh, he's concerned that getting into the narcotics business will cost him his political protection because it's a dirty business. And it, I mean, it doesn't make any difference to me what a man does for a living, you understand, which is something I say in conversation all the time because it's so useful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's what I say about other YouTubers who like do even even worse, cheesier YouTube, like clickbaity stuff than I do. I just say, hey, that doesn't make any difference <laughs> to me what a man does for a living, you understand. But your business is a little dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, so Don Vito sends his his um, his chief henchman, I guess what's what, what would you call Luca Brazzi, his enforcer, right? He sends Luca Brazzi, his enforcer, to go kind of investigate what's going on with Virgil Salazzo and his uh, confederates, which are the Tatalia family, which is a competing family. And uh, Luca goes over to Bruna Tatalia's in the book, it's his a nightclub that he owns, and it's not named in the movie, but in the movie, it sure looks like a fancy Chinese restaurant, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It it like the I think it's the the etchings in the glass in the window. Yeah, there's like gold go, goldfish embossed windows, yeah. and there's like pagodas and stuff in the around the bar. I was surprised that he sent Luca Brazzi though, because Luca Brazzi does not seem like the uh, incisive type, like. <laughs> no. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who like picks up on subtle things. Yeah. You know, he's more of a blunt instrument. Yeah. You don't send Luca for like an espionage mission. Like you send him to go like to go murder someone and that's it. Which is not surprisingly why Luca Brazzi gets murdered in this scene, but not before being offered by Bruna Tatalia a pre-war scotch. And this is another thing that I just think about in in the night all the time when I can't sleep, which is like, <laughs> what did it mean for Bruno Tatalia to emphasize that this scotch had been procured pre-war, considering that this movie takes place in 1945? Right. And like, was he trying to, because it's like, that doesn't, what I'm saying is that it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a very old scotch. Mm-hmm. Like that could be, that could be a five-year-old scotch, which is not a very old scotch. 
Unless they're talking about the the previous war, is that still oh, the in Great War common usage? Like pre-war means the Great War. Wow, that makes more sense. Yeah, you wouldn't because I mean, in 1945, they wouldn't say, "Yeah, you know, here we are in the post-war world, right?" right. Like p- post World War II United States. That's not how they would think of it. They were still in it because pre-war still means. World War Two to us now, but yeah. like, it, what, like, why doesn't it mean, you know, before Korea? Indeed, yeah. Or before Vietnam, like, yeah. Perhaps the Great War was the greater of the two wars in their minds at this point. Yeah, but maybe it's just saying that, like, you know, transatlantic trade has been shut down. Right. We haven't. We haven't gotten anything out of Scotland. Yeah. Because the U-boats keep, yeah. <laughs> All that scotch is at the bottom of the North Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> so that a man could walk from Greenland to Iceland to Scotland without getting his feet wet. Yeah. He's <laughs> walking on all those crates of scotch that are floating out there. <laughs> Boy, yeah. How do, you, how do you walk across one of those and yet bring it with you? That's the, that's the trick. Yeah, that's a real scorpion and the fox situation. <laughs> so anyway, because Don, the Don has not gone along with this whole heroin scheme, he has to die. And uh, so the Don uh, goes across the street from his downtown. And I love the downtown office, the Genco office. I don't know if you noticed this, but like they're, the front of Don, it's not said in this movie, it's said in the next movie, I think. But in the, um, the front for Don's criminal underworld is this olive oil importing business called Genco. And they have like a storefront in, I don't know, it's like supposed to be like the Lower East Side, you know, or Brooklyn or something like that. But it like very much looks like old world New York. It's the previous generation's New York. It's, it looks very tired. I'd call it pre-war New York, really. As one does. Yeah. Very much like, because I love all of the kind of white flight um you know, backdrop to, to everything that happens in these movies. Like first they move out to the suburbs and then they move to Nevada and all that kind of stuff. And where they're fleeing from is like the Genco office where across the street, there's a guy selling fruit with like a fire going in an oil barrel. <clears throat> and the Don goes to buy some fruit. Uh, he buys some oranges. Of course, there's absolutely nothing significant about that. And he is gunned down. I'm going to buy a bunch of mandarin oranges and have my, Son and his friend peel them and put them in a bowl, and then I'll put grappa over them. <laughs> you know what's weird is it, Ben? You're like so good at impressions, and that was by far the worst you've ever done. <laughs> I, wow. don't, I don't do good impressions on other people's podcasts. Wow. Adam. I save those for my own. <laughs> a rare L in Ben's column. <laughs> wow. I do a lot of shows with Ben, and I wouldn't say that's very rare at all. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, yeah, we cut a lot of things out on our podcast, too. <laughs> so one of my favorite scenes from The Godfather is not in The Godfather. It's a deleted scene where um, Sonny Corleone hears that his father has been shot. He goes over to his mother's house to tell his mother what has happened. She's cooking in the back in a, like a, a completely dark kitchen. She's like making sauce. But the era before people thought you had to have lighting in a kitchen, <laughs> just like a real thing. Like you go into like old houses on the East Coast and so often their kitchens are like insanely dark if they haven't mm. been renovated in a long time. Maybe that's because it's so difficult to clean your dishware back then. Maybe you don't want anyone to see all the stains. Like let the roaches have a little bit of privacy. <laughs> so Mama Corleone kind of takes the news like a champ, but she's just kind of like, huh. I'll go upstairs and change in case we can go to the hospital. And then Sonny goes over to the pot of sauce that, that she has been boiling, and he does his his Sonny Corleone move with his swinging horse dick swinging away. You got to feed the dick, Goose. Got to feed the dick. He takes this bread and he jams it down into the, the incredibly tall pot of sauce, right? Yeah. And uh, takes a, and, and but he doesn't eat it. He like takes it lovingly over to uh, the Don's office. And for a moment, he's about to sit in the Don's chair and he decides not to, because he's like, I have not inherited this chair yet. He sits to the side. Also, what if he spilled? Yeah. <laughs> Don would kick his ass. Uh, yeah, that's right. 
He did that once when he was a little boy, and it's yeah. he's, he still bears the scars. Look at how yeah. he walks. <laughs> That's right. The like part of the confidence in that, which I never have in my kitchen, is if I find a nice looking loaf of bread that I didn't personally purchase, I, I would never assume that it was not stale in the way that he just like the way he is able to just tear a big piece off of this uh, bread without it being like tough and. <laughs> But I would also, if I, if it was not my bread, I would probably slice it. Yeah. Like I would not break it with like my caveman hands the way that he does. (laughs) And then, I mean, if we can skip ahead a little bit. So there's like the most famous food scene in all of the Godfather, which is, um, you know, the, the families are kind of going to war. So there's a lot of guys over at the Don's house to, for security purposes. And Clemenza is in there cooking and he's, tells uh, um, Michael, Al Pacino's character, hey, come in, you, you might you might have to cook for 20 guys someday. Let me show you how it's done. And he says that he's gonna, uh, first what you do is you fry, the arlic, you fry the garlic in the olive oil, then you put in your tomatoes and your tomato paste, you put in your meatballs and your sausage, a little wine from a giant like milk jug. Yeah, you got that Carlo Rossi. Oh, so good. <laughs> and then he says, a little sugar, and that's my trick. Yeah. And Sonny comes over, and like he dips his bread in the sauce. And it's what I love about that is that Clemenza, he just started that damn sauce. Like it isn't even, he just put the yeah. tomatoes in. He basically <laughs> made cinnamon toast. <laughs> no pot is safe with Sonny Corleone out there. Like he is going to yeah. come into your kitchen and dip his bread into your pot, whether you like it or not, whether the sauce is ready for it or not. That big swinging dick energy is what it is. Man, horse dick energy. Looks good. I uh, I happened to make spaghetti with with a very similar marinara sauce for dinner last night when uh, and and then we sat down and watched this movie and I was like I, I completely forgot about this scene. I didn't put like the the sausage, you know, that big plate of oh yeah uh, meatballs. Like it looked like very like miscellaneous meat that he dumped in there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem I mean, like you'd be big on the sugar either, for reasons I, stated earlier. I did. I put I put the sugar. A pinch of sugar. What's wrong with wow. a pinch of sugar? That's his trick. How's Paulie? It looked yeah. like a quarter cup of sugar on screen. Yeah. Well, he's cooking for 20 guys. I was cooking for two, and I put like three quarters of a cup of sugar, because I really <laughs> like it ketchupy, you know? <laughs> so speaking of Paulie, the, uh, the, the second most famous food scene... Uh, in this movie is uh, Paulie, the henchman from earlier, who had been offered the capicola and the gabagool, as though this, so there are, those are different things, which of course they are not. Paulie uh, is turns out to have been the one who who sold out Don Vito and uh, made his assassination attempt possible. And the other guys are wise to this. So Clemenza takes Clemenza and their henchman Rocco take Paulie out on a long drive uh, to yeah. a farm upstate. I guess. <laughs> and, and like, and, and, and it's, it's much more, it's, it's, a, it's, there's a lot more written about it in the book. Like it's all, the trip is all about trying to put Polly at ease because Polly is nervous that he has been found out and they don't want him to be nervous. So it's all, the, it's the whole, they, like they drive around for a whole day. It toughens the meat of his body if he's nervous. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> if there's cortisol going through the system. Yeah. <laughs> you want him killed humanely. Did you buy that Polly was sick or was that cuz cuz he does like put on like a <laughs> I feel terrible like yeah. I want you to go get some brandy. Yeah. You know, yeah. sweat it out. What the hell does that mean sweat it out? How does brandy make you sweat it out? I don't know. Is it the same like cuz you put brandy in the in the cask around the dog's neck in the in the <laughs> mountains, right? To warm <laughs> to warm up the the mountaineers. That's 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 the Alps. That's the northern part of Italy. We're talking the southern part. You guys have never been flop sweat drunk. <laughs> Tell us about flop sweat drunk. When you're when you're worried that you'll be found out for selling yeah. out the Godfather. <laughs> yeah, when you're drinking brandy. Yeah, yeah, it hits you much harder that way. It's true. There's actually there's a there's another deleted scene from the movie that is I love this scene. It's this day where they're driving around with Polly doing errands basically, and Clemenza has Polly drive to this place in the city and he says all right you stay here in the car i gotta go make a phone call and in this deleted scene polly like goes around the block into like a really nice like tablecloth restaurant 
and he eats a full meal (laughs) 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 by himself at this little tiny table, you know, in this like white tablecloth restaurant while Polly is in the car and like pays and leaves and comes back in and says, ah, a guy wouldn't talk, quit talking my ear off. (laughs) That guy must have pumped like 60 bucks in nickels into that phone. (laughs) (laughs) I've eaten a lot of meals by myself because obviously, but can you remember like the nicest meal you've ever taken yourself out for? Like, have you ever gone white tablecloth on yourself? It's kind of a a great move, a a great and loving bit of self-care. Yeah, I would love to be the kind of person who has that level of self-value. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, n- I never have that money that level of self-money in my wallet, so. <laughs> I'll pay I'll pay next time. Next time you take yourself out to dinner by yourself and I'll pick it up then, okay? <laughs> okay, I'll I'll just send you a Venmo request, I guess. <laughs> I'll do it and I'll tell you it's from Ben. <laughs> <laughs> So finally, they they drive uh, Paulie up to the farm upstate where he's gonna live for the rest of his life, and uh, and Clemenza gets out to take a leak. Paulie is fully at ease, and this allows Rocco to put a bullet through the back of his head without incident. And Paulie comes, uh, Clemenza comes back to the car and utters the immortal line: "Somebody else do it. Bring the gun and the cannoli. We need both." <laughs> Cannoli are not actually good, so go ahead and and leave them in the car. Yeah. But remember the gun. It's a really good gun. Uh (laughs) But but bring that gun. I have sort of a sentimental attachment to it. It's the only murder weapon that's been used while I I was peeing nearby. Well, because as Clemenza's wife said earlier in the day, hey, Clemenza, don't forget the gun. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, No, she'd of course said, uh, don't forget the cannoli. And again, I think that's one of those other kind of like subtle like suburbanization stories here, which is that like they live out in some beautiful suburb in like the suburban part of Queens or something like that where there's no cannoli. And so you're going into the city, you got to get the cannoli that we remember from back when we, when we all lived in the city. How many cannoli are in that big box though? There's got to be 40 cannoli in there. It could be one cannolo. It could be, you ever seen how big they make those sometimes? I've only ever seen the smalls. I haven't seen the James Caan cannoli <laughs> swinging cannolo uh-huh. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a cannoli measuring contest but we're only going to take out the amount of cannoli we need to win right <laughs> leave the gun take the cannoli why is that line so immortal why is that so good i think it um i mean like the sopranos made a a, a ton of this the like the suburbanization of of the gangster like the idea that like you can be a gangster, but you also have like totally quotidian family obligations like this is like it, that moment is where those two things cross paths. Yeah. (laughs) Like like the, the errand I ran for my wife, uh, you know, I'm still going to get in trouble with her if I don't come home with the thing I said, I, you know, like even though we were out here doing gangster doing murder. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's a good take. There's something musical about the dialogue too, right? Oh, it's sure. almost linguistically perfect as a as a construction. Like it, mm. it just really, it's like lyrical almost. The, the whole great. film reads like a libretto. I, I mean, well, every every line is could be sung. So yeah. well said. I will say, however, that I think cannoli are disgusting. Yeah, they're not good. I want to have a good one though, because enough people like them that maybe I've. I've just had them and they've all been bad. There's a good one out there, right? They only like them because of this scene. They only like them because <laughs> of the movie. All right. Yeah. I would believe that. There, like when I lived in the East Village, you know, there were like Italian bakeries that like specialized in cannoli and, and like you'd see people like standing in line to get them around the holidays and stuff. And I would occasionally get them and just be like, I just don't, I don't understand. Like... I mean, if you're going to get them, get them from a place where they fill them to order. Like, so they, they'll, they'll fry the shell, but they don't fill them immediately. They'll fill them when you order them. And that way the shell stays crispy and then they're tolerable, I guess. I don't know. I can't. It's the ratio that's off, right? It's just too much filling and too little shell. Too much gritty cheese. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a double stuff Oreo. No one needs that. Some people need that. Yeah, I need that. (laughs) Make the shell out of Oreo cookie. 
I feel kind of the same way about Oreos that I do about cannolis. Kind of overrated. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually it becomes clear to the to the guys that they, in order to save Don Vito's life, he survives the assassination attempt, but... Uh, but uh, Salazzo, this heroin dealer, has got to kill Don Vito in order to make his, his business plan work. It's it's integral part of the business plan. And uh, so the, the sons, Michael and, uh, and, and uh, uh, Sonny, decide that they need to kill Salazzo, and Michael is going to do it. And uh, they figure out the, 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 the venue where this is going to happen, and it's Louis' restaurant in the Bronx. And I love how Tessio who is the only guy in the gang who has like heard of this restaurant before. He says, oh, that's perfect. That's the perfect place for us to do this murder. And he gives two reasons. One is that it's a family place where everybody minds their own business. And the second is that it has good food. <laughs> it's probably a great place to take yourself out for a meal by yourself. <laughs> the sounds of it. Yeah. Like Olive Garden. It's not going to be good because it's, it's, you know, it's not family owned. So people are up in your business the entire time. Yeah. That's why I don't go there. Yeah. Too many questions. <laughs> and they don't have the bathroom with the box with the chain thing where you can tape the gun. They all have, they have the, the like modern, you know, commercial toilet where the, it's just a pipe into the wall. There's no tank anywhere. So you yeah. can't hide anything. No place to tape a gun in a modern toilet. And that's the worst thing about them. But that's why they're designed that way. I mean, that's they had to. What was the special tape on the gun? He said that there was special tape. Was that so that there wouldn't be fingerprints? Yes, that's what that was. But I don't know what is special. I would think that any tape. Oh, uh, you know what? It's probably is like a fabric tape instead oh, of like a plastic tape. Right. Because you would totally leave fingerprints on like a plastic tape, right? Yeah. yeah. And maybe maybe the other side of the Velcro is is up up by the cistern of the toilet and they just... They just use that <laughs> to stick it up there. Oh, it's a hook and loop tape. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I like that. that. But but like you don't want the when you when you reach up behind the the cistern to get the gun, you don't want to like <laughs> you know anybody else is in the bathroom goes like what's going on in there. That just sounds like cutting a really complicated fart. No, I think it, <laughs> I think that always sounds like a a, a gun being unvelcroed from something. Mm. You know? I don't know. I mean, I, I I cover all manner of audible crimes in the bathroom by flushing. So. It sounds like you don't have a velcro fly on any of your pants, Ben. If I were going into a bathroom stall, that's all you'd hear. Me me opening my fly of velcro. <laughs> I mean, so someday we are going to teach you how to use a zipper, Adam. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right, We're buddy. We have to do it. It's, our, it's on us that we, we should have done that with you a long time ago, and that's our fault. Okay. You know who else, you know who else has a Velcro fly? James Kahn. It keeps the horse cock in. <laughs> it's the only thing strong enough. <laughs> Much is made of, of a, a moment in this dinner between Michael and Salazzo, where Michael is planning to kill Salazzo, but he does, of course, does not know that yet. There's a moment where the waiter comes over and uncorks a bottle of wine, and the uncorking sound is really loud in the mix. It's so yeah. great. It, I love it. Um, foreshadowing the pop of the gun. And it sounds almost pitched up a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Well, it's clipped. It's clipped. I notice it yeah. every time. Um, it's a little fried. Um, he also seems to only pour two glasses of wine. Does the cop not want any wine? McCluskey's on duty, remember? He had to sign out between eight and ten. Yeah, he seems very by the book. You're right. <laughs> he, he'd never want to drink on duty. <laughs> Good point. I mean, that's your ass in the NYPD. Yeah. yeah, he shows back up to work and his teeth are all stained. He's like counting his stack of dirty money and they're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Does, is that a little bit of wine I smell on your breath, McCluskey? <laughs> an irish cop never yeah yeah <laughs> so michael does the murder and then has to flee to sicily to stay safe for a while where in sicily he he meets a a, a beautiful young woman named apollonia and he marries her and there's two well first of all like he goes over to have dinner with apollonia's family and at their like villa or whatever the of of Apollonia's family in Sicily, there's like all this bowl after bowl after bowl of what looks like raw yams, mm. and I've I have no idea what those are or why they're there or what is going to be done with them. Yeah, what is the Sicilian dish that features lots of yams? Raw yams, <laughs> totally indigestible 
raw yams. <laughs> anyway, they get married and then there's this very curious ritual where like Apollonia after the wedding is still in her wedding gown and she very methodically, ritualistically is like serving a little white dessert to every single one of the wedding guests one at a time. And I always just, I don't know why I assume that they're marshmallows, but they're obviously not marshmallows. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe they were those little like after dinner mints that you sometimes <laughs> see at like old old school restaurants. Yeah, yeah. What happened to what happened to the free mints with my check? That yeah. completely went away. I loved that. Yeah. You know the worst is when it's that like mint fla- like chocolate mint flavored peppermint patty. God, like fuck off with that. God, your opinions are so terrible. That's the best after dinner mint. Are you talking about Andy's mints, you son of a bitch? You're talking about Andy's mints? Actual chocolate mint? I'm I'm there for. The one that's like a hard candy, like it's a like a plasticky hard candy like a peppermint patty. Like like oh, like the you know like okay. the red and white peppermint, but yeah. then there's the black and green one that is the same format but tastes like fake chocolate mint. Okay, you're not talking about Andy's mints. It's okay. No, right. talk- okay. No, you're right. That's trash. Chocolate flavored candy. That is to say, like a yeah. sweet, a, a sugar based dessert that does not have fat in it, but is flavored with chocolate. Like, like a hard candy with with artificial chocolate flavor. Yeah. Get rid of that. Get that out of get that yeah. out of my face. I didn't know until that moment how strong my opinion was about. <laughs> In support of Andes Mints. Like, Andes. I was melting down over here. (laughs) I mean, I don't blame you. That that would be, that that would be an incorrect food take by me. That would be a first, though. (laughs) Nothing I like more than one of those mints after a couple of big beef and cheese from Arby's. (laughs) Jesus. Just perfect. (laughs) Perfect lunch. <laughs> and, and people wonder why Adam Pranica is noted for his digestive problems. <laughs> yeah. Wonder why. Wonder why. Anyway, I looked it up, and they, they are in fact not, not marshmallows. Um, this treat, which is traditionally given out by the bride at a Sicilian wedding, um, it, they're called confetti, and it is a, it's a sugared almond situation. Whoa. They're usually wrapped around the bride's thigh. With like a little elastic band, right? That's right. <laughs> then you shoot that out to the wedding party. That's yeah. exactly what. It's exactly what you do. Shoot it out like Winona. Oh uh-huh. wow! They kind of they sort of look like, um, you know, like yogurt covered uh, like raisins. Like, wow! Did you just do research in the middle of the show, Ben? I'm doing some on the fly uh, internet searching, and I'm wow. they, they look like a you know. Those uh, those yogurt covered raisin candies, but I guess it's I guess it's just sugar over almonds. Yeah, which is way better than those yogurt covered. Yeah, whatever's yeah. yogurt's not supposed to be solid. Why is yogurt solid? What <laughs> magic do you do to turn yogurt into a solid? Like yeah. and not and not just like a like a kind of tacky solid, but like a shiny smooth. It's shelf stable for some yeah. reason. <laughs> Just not something I trust yogurt to do. I know. But it's like it was to convince our mothers in the 1980s. Whoa, what just happened? I don't know, man. Some uh, some some Star Trek crap fell off my shelf just now. Totally spontaneously. There was, a, there was an earthquake in Northern California this morning. So maybe we're getting aftershocks down here. I don't know. Wow. Do you need to steady yourself on? Do you need to go stand in a doorway? The lights aren't swinging. I don't know. I don't, hmm. Maybe it's just ghosts. Jimmy Khan's horse dick is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> One presumes back at, back in the United States. We're still in Sicily at this point right, in the right. story. We just skipped the whole hospital sequence, Goose, and there's food in that, in that hospital sequence. They, that they like go- cheese sandwich that the guard was <laughs> eating before he was pulled off task so that they could murder Don Vito? Yeah, the, 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 uh, the cheese sandwich and the still steaming cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, Man, that sandwich looked bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, institutional, you might say. Right. Not something yeah. I, I would think would pair well with hot hospital coffee also. <laughs> A cheese sandwich, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Hot Ugh. hot hospital coffee uh, goes quite well with a boring shift. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we've probably been at this for a little too long, so let's just go ahead and skip ahead to uh, uh, Michael eventually comes back to the United States, and the uh, Don is semi-retired. Michael is taking over the organization, and the they they capture the vibe between the two of them perfectly by like Michael coming over to see the Don at his house, and the Don doesn't want to talk about business; he just wants to talk about all the nightshades that he's growing. Yeah, he's got yeah. his tomatoes and his peppers and his eggplants, and. Uh, Tom Brady would not like that garden, let me tell you. Uh, you you beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it, it would age him prematurely. Is that how you look 15 years old, Pranica, that you, you don't eat nightshades? Is that what you, your secret? Nightshades are just about all I eat. They just have a different <laughs> effect on me. It's nightshades and it's Arby's, Goose. That's that's my secret. <laughs> you should write a book. <laughs> Nightshades and Arby's. Oh, uh, no. Actually, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? That's the name of my memoir. <laughs> Nightshades and Arby's. The Pranica story. The diet craze that has got Hollywood all the rage. <laughs> Nightshades and Arby's. The Don says, uh, I like drinking wine more than I used to. Anyway, I'm drinking more. I always wondered if there was like dialogue that got cut from the middle of those two sentences i like drinking wine more than i used to anyway i'm drinking more yeah. as though he needed to redirect from something else that he'd been just talking about but he was just talking about the wine so why would you say anyway it's like the first draft of a george thorogood song lyric like <laughs> it's sort of okay <laughs> is this just his way of getting out in front of any of any accusations of having a problem like i'm not i'm not hiding it i'm telling everybody i'm drinking more that's right exactly well michael says it's good for you pop yeah no discouragement from uh from the sun and uh and in fact this is where the dawn dies the dawn dies the way every italian man wants to die the way i hope to die chasing your grandson around your tomato garden yeah and uh slipping on an orange peel <laughs> <laughs> why do you think that that they chose to go with the orange as the symbol of of imminent death well it doesn't rhyme with anything <laughs> that's right so therefore there can never be a second line in that mm -hmm. stanza yeah except for door hinge is that something yeah i think you solved it <laughs> you solved it right here on this show Amazing. <laughs> it's just such a sunny, happy fruit. Why would it signify death? Yeah. There's a big, uh, there's a big uh, wrapped display of uh, oranges in a basket at his bedside when they bring him home from the hospital, too. Yeah. It's like they're haunting him in that scene. It's like they're teasing him. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like go out for oranges, get shot. But then come home and the oranges are brought to you. Well, hey, you, you, you wanted oranges, didn't you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were interrupted on your way to that orange. So that's why we got you oranges. Right. All the vitamin C is going to help recovery speed along. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You don't want to be getting scurvy in that hospital. <laughs> no. They'll try to give you a cheese sandwich and a, like a vending machine coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't. Symbolism is like really like the thing I am worst at in uh, in literary criticism. <laughs> wow! And you graduated from NYU Film School. I did. I, actually, I am not precisely sure that I graduated. I mean, I walked in graduation, but I have no diploma. Uh, it got out. lost in the mail. So, uh, <laughs> so maybe I. Is there symbolism in that, Ben? What do you think? I don't know. Like I said, I'm really bad at this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that I can get it if I write to them. Like there has to be like a paper trail, mm. but like I'd, I'd moved and they sent it to the wrong address maybe. And then, yeah, but at the college you went to, you need to draw that picture of the turtle perfectly. And, <laughs> and then, then the, the picture. Pirate. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then they can verify your, yeah. your student status. Right. Yeah. The registrar has to compare that against the original. Yeah. Um, I think the final act of eating that we see in the film is... You're great at hosting, Goose. Like, way to pull us back. <laughs> I feel like we had another 10 minutes down that road. You, you, you know what I thought I was doing just then? I was like doing a Ben. That's like when Ben on on one of the greatest Trek family of Star Trek 
uh, recap podcasts, <laughs> yeah. like is redirecting you, Adam. He'll yeah. just like he'll just start saying a sentence that's about something that happened in the plot next. Yeah, it really helps. <laughs> got to speed things along. I'm I'm trying to get out of here. You know, I got I got places to be. <laughs> the last active ingestion we see, I think, is Michael taking the communion wafer um, in the church as he is simultaneously murdering the heads of all of the other five families. And it made me think about how like, there's something, the way that the guys are always eating in this movie, everyone, every single time that they're conducting any kind of business, there's always eating. And it's like eating is a sacrament to these guys. It's a ritual that you do. It's an act of homage. It's not an act of self-service. It's like you eat the food in order to, um, you know, demonstrate your allegiance, your piety to uh, the old country and sort of the way of life, the camaraderie that extends from the old country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you believe in America, it's going to be bad, right? That's <laughs> that's something we learn in the first scene. Like you got to do it the old way, except for when they're eating the Chinese food. Yeah, and they seem to really be digging that. Like they're just silently like lip-smacking all of the Chinese food in the cartons. Who doesn't like takeout Chinese food? I, I wanted to see that, though. You can only really see the cartons. Like, you can barely see the food in that scene. Well, I think we can imagine in 1945, we are talking, like, chop suey, chow mein right? and chop suey. And there's a certain camaraderie between the Italians and the Chinese in New York at the time, like two, two recent arrivals on kind of very different but parallel tracks. Right, um, right, and can appreciate each other's food. The the uh, the symmetry of this scene from the wedding is also really apparent too, because someone offers like a box of chop suey and a box of chow mein to someone, and they're like, "Isn't that kind of the same thing? Like, why do you keep giving me two sort of the same thing to eat? It's very confusing. I gave you all this money, and you and you're trying to tell me you got three different things when you got two? it's like it's like the dishes like cabbage and like alkaline noodles yeah. and gabagool all in the wok with some msg <laughs> <laughs> and that's gonna be my next video <laughs> i thank you boys very much for coming on this journey with me uh ben and adam host a a, a family of star trek uh, chat shows um, that uh, I enjoy very much. In fact, are the only media properties that I still consume regularly. That's sweet. <laughs> I'm very That's flattered great. by that. You've also, uh, uh, you know, not to not to mention, made much of the theme music for our shows. So uh, we uh, we we benefit greatly from our friendship with you. We always make beautiful music together, don't we, boys? Uh, we sure do, and uh, we really appreciate getting to come on this show and talk about this great movie with you. Uh, just one message from my wife, uh, who was in the room with my infant son while we were watching the last hour of the movie. Uh, if, if my son is traumatized or has any like deep-seated uh, <laughs> like violent tendencies based on this movie, she's blaming you. Okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send her a fruit basket, okay? Okay. <laughs> No oranges. <laughs> and no cannoli. <laughs> and scene. If you like Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and if you like Star Trek like I do, they are recapping old Star Trek series on their podcast, The Greatest Generation. And they are recapping all the new Star Trek series like Discovery and Picard over on their other podcast, which is called The Greatest Trek. They're both on the Maximum Fun podcast network. What food movie should the three of us recap next? And what else would you like me to talk about on the pod? Let me know at askadamquestions at gmail. Ask Adam questions at gmail.com. If you have a question or a comment for the program, please attach like a video or an audio file to your email. This is the first episode to come out on my new release schedule, which is podcasts on Monday, videos on Thursday, and only one video a week instead of two. Boy, am I excited about getting my life back and spending more time with my family. Hopefully my sons will prove worthy to inherit my little empire that I am building with your generous support. There are still some Adam Ragusea chef knives for sale at adamragusea.com, adamragusea.com to buy an Adam Ragusea chef knife. Make good choices, 
Remember that crime doesn't pay, but cooking can. And I'll talk to you next time.